Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the new Mainstream Podcast, where we explore the impact of multicultural consumers on marketing and media. I'm your host, Mario Carrasco, and co-founder of ThinkNow. Today, our guest is Lauren Triplett, Associate Marketing Manager at Barbie Global Brand at Mattel, and also the founder of Bite Size Consulting. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, excited to chat with you to learn more about your role at Barbie, Mattel, and more about your consulting. But um, would like to talk a little bit about how you got into your role, just so you know, you know, our listeners, um, kind of all the spectrum of marketing and insights. So mm-hmm. I always like to start off kind of learning more about how you got into marketing and your particular role, your journey. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to share. I think it's a pretty unconventional one. So hopefully some people can learn something interesting or new. But my love for marketing actually started when I was in college. I'd probably say it was when I first realized that marketing was the thing that I loved. I had gone into school thinking I was going to be a lawyer. I think everyone thought, oh, I'm going to be a lawyer or a doctor, whatever your parents encourage you to be. I I went down that path too, yeah. Right? Yeah. And I sat in that first poli-sci class and I was like, oh, no, I am in the (laughs) wrong room. This is not for me. (laughs) And that same semester, I had an economics class that was mind-blowing to me. It was so interesting just understanding why people do the things that they do and behave the way that they do. And I realized, even though I didn't really want to be an economist, that that piece of behavioral economics really stuck with me. And I was already working in sales at the time and was part of the sales program at Florida State University where I went to undergrad. And I realized, oh, well, the connection between why people behave the way that they do and then why they purchase something, that's really marketing. And I wanted to be that person who was that bridge in between why people behave the way they do and why they purchase certain things. And from the time that I graduated from Florida State, I ended up joining uh, Kohl's department stores and working for them for a while as an um, assistant store manager and stuck with retail for a while. I really enjoyed it and had fun kind of digging into the numbers of sales and thinking about uh, visual merchandising and presentation a little bit differently. And after working for Kohl's and Uniqlo for a little bit, I ended up working for an industrial supplier called McMaster Car, which was like a 180 from what I was doing before. I went from working in retail and talking with people every day to industrial supplies, like literally selling screws. It was a very different (laughs) environment, to say the least. (laughs) But it was it was a learning experience for me because I got an opportunity to not only do sales, but it was my first opportunity to jump into marketing. I had a chance to rotate into the marketing team and found it fascinating because the type of marketing we did was more concerned about analytics and definitely much more about the marketing research aspect of things, reading through magazines and different periodicals and trying to understand more about our customers without kind of being in their face all the time, which is really cool. And I was also getting my MBA at the same time because I thought, why not? And that's when I decided, okay, I think I'm going to try to pursue a marketing career full time. And as soon as I graduated from Pepperdine with my MBA, I 
probably very naively thought, okay, this is how you get a marketing job. And not having enough experience really taught me, okay, I need to figure out how I can gain experience while still having a full-time job. And truly that's when I started building my own business. That's kind of when Bite Size Consulting was born. I went on to volunteer.org. I found all of these organizations that were nonprofits that really couldn't afford anyone to, to pay for marketing work, but they still needed help. So I jumped into Dress for Success in an organization called Community Literacy Initiative, and they let me come in and just help them with social media and marketing plans and strategies. And from there, I realized, I think I could make this a business. And both of those organizations were like, yeah, people would definitely pay for this. And that's when Bite Size Consulting was born. And after about a year of doing Bite Size and also doing operations management at McMaster Car, I had an amazing opportunity from someone that I had made a connection with in grad school to join Mattel. So I noticed on her LinkedIn that she was looking for someone for this role that sounded like something that fit very well into what I loved and what I wanted to do. And a few conversations later, I accepted the position to be associate marketing manager at Mattel. And now I work with developing product on the global brand team um, for uh, the Barbie family segment, which is all about Barbie and her sisters and her pets and the specials that she has on Netflix. So all of those products are the ones that I work on, which is a really, really fun job. <laughs> That's such a cool journey. And I, I especially love that anecdote that I think people can learn from where, you know, you mentioned you're newly minted mm -hmm. out of grad school and, 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 you know, you needed to have experience and you wanted to get mm -hmm. a role and you just created it yeah. through like, <laughs> you know, and like, I just think that's so indicative of um, kind of this newer generation, right? Like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You, it's so tough getting a job. I mean, even with a graduate degree, um, but you yeah. just, <laughs> you use like a passion of yours and created a company and we're able to get into now, mm -hmm. I would say one of the most rec globally recognizable brands at Mattel. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. It, it's a really, I think, wild story when I think about it, but to your point, yeah, it's really all about making it happen for yourself. And I think when I talk to young people from, from Pepperdine or from Florida state who reach out to me, that's one of the things that I tell them, especially with marketing, because marketing is such a broad term. You, you really have to narrow down what it is that you want to do, but then stick with it and make it happen for yourself. And that means you're going to get some rejection. I mean, I probably had 200 rejection emails in my inbox at some point, but it was never enough for me to say, okay, well, this clearly isn't what I wanted to do. I just thought I just need to find a different path to make it happen. And so did, did you start at Mattel like during the pandemic, essentially? I did. I did. I started in November of 2020. So it was still 100% virtual, not in office, you know, really trying to, to build connections with people by putting time on their calendar, which doesn't feel nearly as great as just meeting someone in a hallway and having coffee or something. So definitely unique. <laughs> yeah. So, so tell, tell us a little bit more, like, um, mm -hmm. it sounds like, tell us a little bit more about your role at Mattel. Like, so you're heading up the family division, like what, what does that, that mean and entail? Yeah. Yeah. So Barbie, I think when you, when you walk down a Barbie aisle in Target or Walmart, there's tons of different products and different play sets. But the ones that I focus on are all of the ones that are based on some of our Netflix movies and shows. 
So the most recent one was Barbie Big City Big Dreams, which features Barbie meeting another Barbie in New York City, and they go to this performing arts high school. And I was pretty much heading up just the strategy behind what do we want these toys to do? What do we want kids to gain from this? What makes them different from what else we see in the market? So it's a, it's a pretty fun job because it really is product development. And it's a lot of taking what we've learned from previous Netflix specials, taking what we've learned from other dolls that, that Mattel has created and trying to make the next best thing that also makes sense with the, the movie that we're showing. Um, but it's a really fun job because I think you, you end up making things based on a movie, but you know, kids may or may not watch the movie. Kids love it because it has lights and sounds or because they recognize a character. So it's always important to kind of put yourself in the consumer shoes. And so our consumer isn't millennials or consumer isn't Gen Z, it's Gen Alpha. It's, you know, kids as they're growing up today. Yeah. And they have a very different perspective than I think some of us adults do. <laughs> and, and so um, what's involved in that? So I'm assuming mm-hmm. you like, you watch the shows, you, mm-hmm. you have some ideas. Are you, are you talking to children? Are you bringing, like, are you bringing children in with their parents? Like what, what does the Good research question. and development like look like when you're you know, after you watch a show and you have some ideas, are you are you gut checking mm-hmm. that against kids? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so we have an amazing insights team at Mattel who does a lot of work and they ask a lot of really just open ended questions. They do they will do some specific product testing, but a lot of it is just like, what do you like to play with, and what do you do when you play with these dolls, and what do you do when you have these action figures? Which is always so interesting to see how kids think about their toys and how they think about playing because they're looking at it from a perspective of, well, I'm creating this story in my imagination and these are the things I need to fill in this story. So yeah, we take a lot of inspiration from the show and from the movie, but at the end of the day, we take, I don't know, probably 80% of what we want to do from what kids tell us, which is pretty cool. So we get, we gather our insights from, from the team at Mattel and we take that information and we turn it into a product that is essentially what kids have told us that they wanted, (laughs) or at least that's the goal. (laughs) That's so cool. And, um, you know, as you know, like our work focused on multicultural consumers and many of our listeners are interested in that as well. And -hmm. I think, um, Barbie and Mattel in general have just been, um, I would say at the forefront of kind of pushing for more inclusivity and diversity. I mean, we see a lot of companies in the last two years take that up, Mm -hmm. but I feel like Mattel has been doing it for a while. Um, (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about how that's integrated into your, into your everyday? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the nice thing about working for Barbie specifically is that you have these conversations a lot and you think about not only diversity, but truly inclusivity. I think a a really good example, if you look at the Barbie fashionistas line, there's dolls in wheelchairs, there's dolls with a prosthetic leg, there's dolls with vitiligo. And I think that's taking the diversity to the extra step. And Mm -hmm. it is something we always think about. And it's something we talk about a lot, which I think it's great that we have such an open, open book, open communication, uh, our directors, managers, like people aren't scared to talk about it. And we're not scared to have open and honest conversations about what it means to be truly inclusive. And so when I think about the most recent thing that we've launched, which is Barbie Big City Big Dreams, I it makes me really happy because number one, you have 
Barbie the brand, but you also have Barbie the character who's meeting another Barbie who's who's black. She's a black girl who lives in New York City. And it's awesome just thinking about that level of inclusivity and diversity, but really bringing it into a story that makes sense to kids. Because I don't think that kids are thinking about it in terms of, oh, well, this person is black or this person is uh, Latino. This person is Asian. Kids are just like, I really like this character. Right. And I think the more that we can make these multifaceted characters, the more that kids are going to be not only interested, but they build this empathy naturally because they see people that look different on the shows that they like and within the product that they like. That's such a good point that I didn't think about, right? Like there's that extra mm -hmm. component of, um, yeah, I think we all gravitate towards things that are like us, but mm -hmm. also you're just going to like the show and we're going to be exposed to characters that are disabled, mm -hmm. um, that look different, mm -hmm. and it just becomes a part of your everyday. So that's yeah, that's such a great point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's honestly one of my favorite things about working for Barbie because it takes it from like that checkbox mentality, like, okay, we have the black character, we have the Asian character, and it really becomes more of how can we make these lovable characters that kids will really be interested in no matter what their ethnicity is. Um, both the character and the child. So it, it's really awesome. And I think it speaks back to uh, a study that we did last year about increasing empathy by playing with dolls. Uh, and I think this content also plays into that as well. So it's one of my favorite parts about working for Barbie. As you're talking, um, like it made me think also like, I think traditionally, I mean, when I was growing up, right? Like, mm -hmm. It, it was, you know, dolls are for girls, Barbies just for girls. Like, are you mm -hmm. seeing, is that changing now um, in terms of, I mean, is, is Barbie the brand or dolls in general? Do you see that more boys kind of playing in that space or is it still traditionally uh, girl driven? Yeah, that's a, it's a really good question because I do think that things are starting to change. I think we are starting to see parents giving dolls to their sons and giving action figures to their daughters. And I think we're starting to see some of these gender constraints that we've had previously in the toy aisle, toy aisle being erased, which I think is a good thing because then, you know, kids aren't limited to what they like. I, I remember when I was a kid, I really loved Power Rangers and Ninja Turtles. And mm -hmm. I was like, not super <laughs> into dolls at one point. But whenever my cousins would come visit, when we would play, we would play with action figures and dolls. They mm -hmm. lived in the same world in our imagination. So I think that we'll continue to see kind of this blurring of lines between gendered toys. And I think that we will start to see more boys playing with dolls and more girls playing with action figures. And I think that eventually we'll get to a point where we'll see less gender specific toys, or at least that's the goal, I think. Yeah, I I, I agree. Because I mean, my kids are, they're not big on on dolls. But I, I feel like, mm -hmm. well, I have I have one son, one daughter. Mm -hmm. um, but you're right, the the action figures and the dolls are just living in the same space. I think they <laughs> yeah. see them, you know, they, they, you know, they're still getting gender toys from um, grandparents and whatnot sure. yeah. Um, yeah but but definitely you're right I, I kids don't necessarily see those lines mm -mm. yeah they don't see it the same way that adults do and I think that you know again I've probably said this 10 times but I think it just continues to help kids build empathy for those that don't look like them 
And the more that they can create these worlds where, where things that we feel are very different can live in the same universe, I think that translates to their actual lives and they become just more empathetic humans in general. For sure. So tell us a little bit about more about, um, we've been talking a lot about Mattel. We'd love to learn more mm-hmm. about your work at Bite Size Consulting and mm-hmm. how does that intersect or help, if at all, with the work that you're doing at Mattel? Yeah, that's... It's a loaded question. <laughs> I actually, so what I do with Bite Size Consulting, it's a digital marketing firm. I focus on BIPOC individuals, women-owned companies, and really just help them create connections with their audience, specifically through digital media. Mm. The reason that I chose to do that is because digital media, for for all of its pros and cons, it is a much more even playing field than if you're trying to purchase space on the back of a magazine or get a billboard or something like that. And it also allows your consumer to interact with you in a way that makes it more personal and authentic. So the things that I really love to do within Bite Size are help these entrepreneurs, help startups, help, I think I I just recently signed a, a musician that's working with me now. And so it's just helping them understand listen, you don't need a huge marketing budget. What you just need to do is understand who's your key consumer, what is it about you that they love, and then share more of that online. And it seems like a really simple message, but I think that so many individuals and and so many brands have thought, I need to play on the same level as these big CPG companies. And at the end of the day, you don't. You really just need to speak to who your target consumer is and be your authentic self because that's why they're there. So it's it's really fun and exciting because it's a lot more on the digital marketing, social media, email marketing side. Whereas in my day job at Mattel, I'm really focusing on more of the the price and product piece of the four marketing piece. So bite size is a nice way for me to still keep my full marketing, um, I guess, resume, you will say. And I can learn more about what's happening in in these digital spaces because I don't really work in the digital space in my full-time job. So it's a great way to just stay up to date with everything that's happening in marketing. That's great. I I love your focus on underrepresented founders because, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're starting businesses just at a higher rate than Mm -hmm. really any, any other demographic. But Mm -hmm. to your point, the big, the big, there's a, there's a knowledge gap there. And so um, Mm -hmm. they're much less likely to reach, that larger, you know, million dollar plus. Mm-hmm. So you're offering like a much needed service. So that's awesome. It's it's so fun. And I I think one of my original goals when I created Bite Size was to keep my prices really low because I never wanted it to get to a point where the small business that really just needs to understand what they're doing wrong on Instagram or how they can improve their Facebook ads. I, I never wanted it to be to a point where they couldn't afford that. And I think to your point, as we continue to see more underrepresented folks starting businesses, it's great if they can have those resources readily available. Like I, I know they're not starting with a full marketing department. So if you have one person that's trying to handle 12 different social media sites, they need to know how to focus in. And that's where Bite Size can really come in and help create this strategy, create some additional tactics, and truly just teach them, this is how you run your marketing for this business. Here's how you read your analytics. And then here's how you take that to improve upon the next quarter. Can you, can you share with us like a case study, like, um, like an example mm-hmm. of what you did and some, some successes? We'd love to hear some wins you've had. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, there's one company that I love and she's one of my best friends from college and it's a small therapy boutique therapy firm called a uh, small talk counseling and consulting. They're based out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana and uh, Lakeitha pool, who is the lead uh, consultant, the founder, she's just the most wonderful human, but she's not digital marketing, social media, that, that just wasn't her calling. And that's not what she wanted to focus on. She wanted to focus on helping people who needed the help in her community. So I was actually able to come in and we've increased her followers by, or no, her engagement rate, sorry, by over 300%. And we've wow. been able to get her followers up, which, you know, the more followers you get, that's great. But to me, it's like, we gained an extra 300 followers and they're all super engaged. Like everybody's jumping in, they comment, they love what we're posting. And it's content that's focused on specifically uh, minorities, specifically BIPOC individuals. But even more than that, it's also focused on busy millennials, busy millennial women. And so I think by having me kind of say, okay, these are, these are kind of the levels of who this persona is that we're talking to and who your target consumer is, it's just been really awesome to see her social media page grow, but even better, which I think some people forget about is seeing the business grow. They've been able to purchase their own, um, their, their own office now that they have just for them. And I know that's not fully from me. That's definitely because Lakeitha's awesome, <laughs> <laughs> but it is nice to see that the business is growing and people are excited about it, um, both on social media and in person. That's incredible. And yeah, I mean, I hold a therapy and mental health holds a special place in my heart. My, my wife's a therapist. Um, oh, awesome. yeah. so, and, and like for millennials and it's important, obviously all of us going through the pandemic, but I think, mm -hmm. um, for BIPOC individuals, like finding therapists of color, I mean, understanding that cultural mm -hmm. background is so important. So that's like, you're doing great work in, in multiple ways. So kudos for that. No, thank you. Thank you. It's, it's truly rewarding. I mean, it, it's companies like that, that I love to help. And it's companies like that, that I want to see thrive because to your point, yeah, I mean, mental health is such an important thing. And I think sometimes in BIPOC communities, we feel like, oh no, I have to keep going. I have to keep going through the struggle because that's what everyone else did. And so it's really nice to help a company that's saying we can break some of those generational curses and that generational grief that we've had in the past. So it's really rewarding. <laughs> for sure and um so kind of i guess combining both um i'll let you answer one or both but like would love to know what are some trends you're seeing either on the digital marketing size with your work on bite size like what do you see happening in 2022 or mm -hmm. um would love to even hear what 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 some things are planned on the mattel barbie side would just like to hear some predictions that you have for this year yeah absolutely uh I think for, for both, uh, a big push that I can see happening in 2022 is more of a focus on inclusivity. I think the last couple of years have really taught us that diversity should be at the forefront. But I think sometimes when we have that diversity, when we don't make it an inclusive place, we then lose that diverse talent that we've worked hard to gain. And I think something that's awesome about being at Mattel is that it really is an inclusive environment. It's, it's very diverse. <laughs> there are so many people that work at Mattel with so many different backgrounds, ethnicities, stories. And it's wonderful to see that inclusivity happen within our organization. 
And I think of the same thing with Bite Size. It's wonderful to see some companies that are coming to me and talking about inclusivity and how important it is for them and wanting to get this additional representation. So I think that we'll see even more trends headed towards inclusivity because I also think that the consumer is going to start to expect it. They don't want to see businesses checking boxes. They want to see some actual action behind it. Can you tell us a little bit about how, like from your perspective, mm-hmm. how do you how do you define or inclusivity or what is inclusive to you through your experiences versus yeah. just diversity? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. I think I've been in organizations where where I have been the checkbox. Like I <laughs> I have been black female hired check. And you feel out of place Mm. in those organizations because they're not necessarily meant, they're they're not built with you in mind. And so you have to come in and say, sorry, I don't really want to wear that headset because it's going to get caught in my natural hair because you haven't thought about that. And I have to say, no, I can't. I, I can't put this on my person because, or I can't wear this particular shade of makeup, or I have to do my hair in a different way because this particular space wasn't meant for me and wasn't built for me in mine. Uh, I, I can think back to a very specific experience when I was in college and I used to work for Hollister and I had worked for, I don't know, a month or two uh, and decided that I was going to get braids put in my hair. And I remember having to go to work and have this awkward conversation with my manager saying, oh, you can't be on the sales floor with braids in your hair because that's an unnatural look and we can't have that. It's not part of the brand. And it is first of all, it's like dehumanizing because you're like, oh, I just <laughs> worked wow, at this job, yeah. like spent this money to get my hair done, and now I can't even like I, I can't even work. I can't even be on the sales floor. So I remember that being a, just a really dehumanizing, defeating moment where something that's part of my culture is now considered ugly and bad, and they don't want it. It's not it's not on brand. So. I think back to situations like that, and I'm really thankful for things like the Crown Act that have come forward, because that's when you really start thinking about inclusivity. Yes, we want people to show up to to different functions that a, that a group is having, you know, your, your Christmas parties back when we had them pre-2020, but I think <laughs> it's even more important to think about just the day-to-day, what makes people feel included within your organization where they can bring their authentic selves to work and they don't have to worry about being treated differently because of the texture of their hair, the color of their skin, their religious background and such. That's so important. And thank you Mm -hmm. for sharing that. I mean, I think that's important for companies to realize it's about, you know, have you thought about how this space Mm -hmm. makes me feel, Um, which is, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've definitely had those experiences as an entrepreneur and Mm -hmm. working with other companies. So, um, that's a really good point. Thank you for sharing. And believe it or not, we're almost at our time here, but what's, um, (laughs) kind of like last word of wisdom, I guess, for, um, startups, like, you know, that's Mm -hmm. something I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, passionate about entrepreneurship um Mm -hmm. for those like just starting and i mean what are what are some key takeaways with your bite-sized consulting hat on that you could give you know brands that um you know small brands independent brands that are Mm -hmm. starting their social media journey what are some like three must-haves before they launch Ooh, absolutely i think first things first get all of the names on all of the platforms Now, when I say that, I don't think you have to be active on every platform. There's a lot of social media out there. Like there's the giants that we all know about. And then there's smaller ones that are very boutique and specific to a 
particular industry, but get your name on all of them. So at least your branding is consistent, but only focus on two or three. At the end of the day, whoever your target consumer is, they're going to find you on that site. And I always suggest start with the one that you're already on. So if you're already an Instagram scroller, do everything on Instagram, start there. And if you're already that person who's spending two hours on TikTok, I may or may not be guilty of that, then <laughs> go ahead and start on TikTok. So, you know, find, find yourself, make it easy on yourself as an entrepreneur. You don't have a lot of time. So incorporate it into what already exists within your social media. I think the second thing that I would consider, think about how often you want to post. Every algorithm, it doesn't matter what social media site you're on, they care about your consistency more so than they care about your quantity, uh, except for maybe TikTok. That's probably the only one where you can throw out 10 a day and then stop and then 10 another day and it might still be okay. But focus on how consistent you can be. If you're super busy and you know that you're probably going to only be able to get one good post out a week, start with your one good post and work your way up and find ways that you can incorporate it into what you're already doing. So one of my newest clients, a, a good friend of mine who's a musician, I told him whenever you're writing your songs, when you're working with another producer online, just get a little tripod for your phone and hold it up and let it just record as you're doing your process because people are more interested in that than you probably think that they are. Uh, but it's also a good way for you to have some content to share with your target audience. And I think the last thing, just remember social media is social. So don't just post something and ghost on your audience forever get on there, post something, do a live, do a live with someone else if it makes you feel more comfortable, but have good conversations, engage with people. I think that's one thing that made small talk really successful is that Lakeitha's really good with engaging with people online once the post is there. And I think her audience is really interested in hearing more from her and seeing the live events that they're starting to do outside at their new place. So make it social and make it social in a way that works for you. If you'd rather just do a live and then respond to questions and answer them there, great. But if you're going to do a post and people start responding to it, make sure that you're there to be active and engaged. I think those are probably the three big things for entrepreneurs on social media. That's great advice. Thank you so much. I, I, I should have got all the socials in the beginning and the website. We, we didn't do that. Believe it or not, we're thinking now. Ended up paying, yeah, ended up paying so much money to get our our URL at the end of the day. It was crazy, oh, but oh man, um, awesome! Thank you so much for joining, Lauren. That was um, a great conversation. Thank you, everybody, for listening. For people that want to connect with you online, like, what's the best way to reach you? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Lauren Triplett. Just look that up. I, I think I'm probably one of the only ones. But you can also find me on Instagram, Facebook at Lauren BT. And you can also find Bite Size Consulting at Bite Size, one word, underscore consulting. Thanks again. And thanks everybody for listening. Thanks to everyone listening in. To get more multicultural insights, check us out at thinknow.com and follow us on social media. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform. Final thank you to our producer, Lucas Martinez, who created our intro music and makes our podcast sound great. To email him, reach out to martinez.lucas.a at gmail.com. <laughs>